The reading is taken from Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How are we doing? I often get um, surprised just when uh, I don't recognize people. So in case we haven't met before, my name is Paddy, uh, one of the curates here, so like one of the priests who serve across our three churches. So over August, we've been talking about kind of focusing in, pushing the, the pedal a bit more, as you would, on one of our core values here at Chanctonbury, which is Heaven is Here. And so if you're the type who likes to make notes, the, um, the title that was given for this morning was Ministering Like Jesus. Ministering Like Jesus. And as we get into this, I, I have to start by asking the question, what is your deepest fear? What is your deepest fear? Famously, Marianne Williams, she answered this by saying, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Because it is our light, not our darkness, the most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant? Who are you not to be? You are a child of God. There is nothing enlightening about shrinking so other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. We were born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. And it's not just within some of us, it's within all of us. Because as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence liberates others. In the 2005 Hollywood movie Coach Carter, that is uh, towards one of my favorites, this was the haunting question that Samuel Jackson's, Samuel Jackson's inspirational character would ask the troubled Timo Cruz. Mr. Cruz, what is your deepest fear? And then there was a, a wonderful Hollywood moment in which Timo Cruz, his character, would get up and recite this quote or poem from Marion Williams. The reason I think why I love this movie, as cheesy as it is, because this character, Samuel Jackson, embodies, he constantly calls these young men from an impoverished area of Northern California to more through the median of basketball, obviously. That was obviously another key part of why I might love the movie. <laughs> but he called them to more. And so there is this moment in which the particularly troubled character, 
Mr. Cruz, he realizes that actually it's the fear of changing, it's a fear of embracing his greatness, which he is called to, which most frightens him. And I think in the same vein, Jesus calls us to more. He calls us to live, walk, and love, as well as minister just like he did. It's because because of the spirit that was at work within Jesus, because of the truth and faith and belief that Jesus walked in, Jesus did it all in power. And that's the same power that, that we believe that God works through us. So I might have to warn you, this might not be a, like a therapeutic and pleasant message, but I believe it's one that God is calling us to. So we'll, hopefully we'll, we'll talk about heaven and earth and we'll also talk about ministering like Jesus did. So as we heard this passage, it talks about how Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I think the world is still in a similar state. The world is still in desperate need of the kingdom to be proclaimed. Across cities, towns, villages, rural, urban alike, the gospel is in need of being proclaimed. Because diseases and sickness, they are still rife. People are still oppressed and lost. I would probably say that People aren't sheep without a shepherd. They are sheep, they are sheep without the shepherd. There's plenty of fake and bad shepherds about trying to, to guide and lead people in ways that are nothing short of leading them astray. That's why it's like our call to, to re-narrate human existence according to the faith, according to the truth of the gospel. But it begs the question always, well, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Helpful hint I heard was just always go to Jesus. What was the gospel according to him? And he proclaims it just in the, in the next chapter. As he's sending out the 12, he says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's the same message that uh, Mark records in at the start of Mark's gospel. The kingdom of heaven has come near, straight from Jesus' mouth. So it begs the question, well, what is, what is heaven? What is earth? Because often we try and separate them and say, oh, you know what, heaven, that is, that's God's domain, that's God's space, and earth, that is our space. But what if that's not the plan? What if it's not the plan to have two separate spaces, God's space and our space? Because heaven isn't this final destination. It isn't the next chapter of existence we go to once we die. I don't think that's the biblical focus of heaven, that it is delayed eternal hope. Because the hope of the Bible is here and now within our lifetime. Actually, what we have within our hands being transformed by the very presence of God. And that in itself is why this value here at Chanctonbury is often the hardest one for, for people to get on board with. It's the one that causes most offense, grates up against people the most. Because the story of the Bible is about a union between heaven and earth. It's restoring 
the very picture that we see right at the beginning of the biblical narrative in the Garden of Eden, in which God and humanity, they dwelt together perfectly. There was no separation between the two. God and humanity partnering together, building something that would flourish. But unfortunately, what history has told, as well as the Bible, is that there was a separation between this union caused by our own sin, caused by our rebellion to choose our own way. So as opposed to choosing God's holy, perfect, good, beautiful way, instead we choose our own, which is painful and ugly and separate. You kind of get glimmers of this union between heaven and earth, even in the Old Testament. But we see it in the context of tents, tabernacles, and temples. Couldn't have planned that alliteration better. Because a union occurs in these specific places for a specific time when sacrifices are made through the sacrifices of animals in which they seemingly absorb our sin, somewhat temporarily and definitely with limits. And that's part of the good news of Jesus within history. As he came, and you, we find it at the beginning of John's Gospel, it says like the word has become flesh and dwelt amongst us. I don't want to be like too academic about it, but it's this amazing truth that we find that the actual word that we'll translate as he dwelt, or he came and lived amongst us, is actually like the, the verb for tent. It's like he came to tabernacle, he came to camp amongst us. So it points to this truth that actually Jesus is the very place in which heaven and earth overlap. So Jesus is the tent, he is the tabernacle, the temple, but in Jesus, he's also the, the sacrificial lamb. That's what John the Baptist would say. Like, here comes the, the lamb of God. He is the, the one sacrifice in which we've been professing for centuries and centuries. It is a, a sacrifice that is holy, altogether sufficient. But the beauty about Jesus is he doesn't just stay in one place and it's not just for one time, but rather this overlap of heaven and earth that he creates, he spreads it far and wide. It's almost a bit chaotic. He travels around throughout the Gospels and he's releasing little pockets of heaven here and there and everywhere. You might even say, to quote him, he sets the example of he doesn't hide his light under a bowl. So Jesus creates these pockets of heaven on earth, God's presence at work. And whereas with our, I love what Danny was focusing on actually, pursuing God that he would open our eyes that we may see things as he sees it. And if we do that, we'll see that Jesus walking around, ministering, releasing heaven, releasing healing, curing people, transforming their lives. This wasn't a... The miracles weren't disorder. 
This is actually the, the restoration of order. Not an interruption. Like sickness and disease aren't the order in which Jesus came to disrupt. Rather, he came to restore it. So people being healed, delivered, set free, people finding true joy in Jesus. This is the, the true order. We might say, according to, to our passage, you know what, this is the harvest. But the beautiful thing about the gospel, which is also the terrifying thing about the gospel, is that he delegates this responsibility. He delegates this role to us. So it's actually us. We are the laborers. So rather than saying, oh, let's pray that God would send people, it's very much a case of when you pray that, God's looking right back at you. So brothers and sisters, what is your deepest fear? There's a few accounts in the Old Testament that have always captivated me, but they also always deeply challenge me. In um, the two books of Kings, you find the prophet Elijah. And at the end of his ministry, he's recruited this protege in Elisha. And at the end of his ministry, as it were, he turns to his protege Elisha and says, like, is there anything I can do for you? I often wonder, I'm like, gosh, in a, in a couple years, when the bishop finally um, tells me I have to leave... Will James or Patrick kind of turn to me and say, Paddy, is there one thing I can ask of you? And I question whether I'll be as bold as Elisha and say, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Like everything you have done, let me do, but even more. That's what Elisha said to Elijah. And you find Elijah turned back to him and said, actually, young Padawan, what you have asked is a difficult thing. And I'm convinced that, that he says this is a difficult thing, not because it is difficult for me as the prophet Elijah to impart on you. It's not difficult for God to, to take my, double, like my spirit and then work in you twice as much. I don't think that would be difficult for God to do. Rather, I think the, the point that Elijah is getting at is actually saying to his protege, Elisha, he's saying, if you, if you want to walk in this, this is difficult for you. This is going to be a hard, challenging, and potentially scary mantle for you to take on. Or a similar account that captivates me is in Isaiah 6, the beginning of his story, he has this profound revelation of who God is, revelation of God's holiness. He is transported to the throne room. He's seeing all these heavenly beings. I would have a fear of the Lord if I saw what he saw too. And there's this account in which one of these heavenly beings takes a burning coal and places it on his lips. And he says, actually, you know what? Your lips are now clean. And then the Lord says to me, he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
And Isaiah replies and says, here I am, send me. I often think, gosh, how brave is Isaiah to say, actually, you know what? Here I am, send me. How terrifying is it to fully submit our lives to God and be sent out? If I'm being really honest, I think, gosh, like how terrifying is it to wake up every day and say, God, use me? It's quite terrifying that the creator of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, and say, God, use me. But Jesus is still posing that same question to us today. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Just to be blunt, to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is intentionally inconveniencing your life. So it's the question, how many of us will bravely say, here I am, send me? I'm thinking uh, in a previous lifetime, I, I used to be a youth worker. I once saw like one of these those GIF images. It's like a picture that moves. And just had like the subtle, just like subtle um, subtitle of like, who's gonna pray? And you just see like this teenager just sink into his chair, just trying to like be more and more anonymous. And then in my experience, every time I was with our teenagers and I'd say, like, who's gonna pray? It's just this collective, everyone's looking around. But I wonder actually, as amusing as that picture is, that memory in my mind, I wonder we possibly still do the same thing. Because I'm under no illusion, to be realistic, is actually to say, to follow God, it won't always be easy. It does require sacrifice. The most terrifying thing is it actually requires us to change. Maybe change the direction of our life, change the decision, change my motivation. And as Bonhoeffer would popularize, it definitely requires us to die to self. But it's so worth it. One of um, my great joys that I've um, stepped into in the last couple of months in priestly ministry has been marrying people. And I realized one of the joys, it's not for a deeply spiritual reason, but rather I get the best view. <laughs> At the start of the wedding, I kind of like walk in and say, would everyone please stand? And then I scoot down to the front and I stand right here next to like a trembling groom. So I get a front row seat to his nervousness and I can see all the beads of sweat dripping down his forehead. But then I also see the bride come in and I see her, all her excitement. But what has been such a joy to see is the expression of the bride's father. And I realize as the father of a girl, where I'm currently amidst potty training and generally raising a toddler, all the frustrations you incur. Our daughter likes to come in in the middle of the night, like at some ungodly hour, climb into bed with us, but she doesn't sleep in line, so it's not just three in a bed. She sleeps perpendicular to us. So usually I'm getting like a foot in the face. <laughs> or the fact that like we try and walk down the road and she doesn't want to hold hands, she wants to run. Just, I'm sure many parents can relate. All the frustrations you incur. And as I stand at the front of church and see the, the father of the bride walk down the aisle, 
he's not replaying any frustration over his daughter that he raised. All that he has in his eyes is, is being proud. The joy of seeing his daughter like mature into a woman and a wife. And I want to suggest that the joy and satisfaction found in seeing the kingdom of God manifest like around you when you inconvenience yourself. The joy and satisfaction found in seeing the kingdom of God manifest like in others when you die to yourself and pour it out to them. When you minister like Jesus, that joy is priceless. No, there's no like teenagers in the room, but I remember a time when uh, I would watch TV and it would be littered with these things called adverts. And MasterCard had this incredible series of adverts, which they would go through like all the prices of something, like a, a parent taking their child to a sports game. They were like tickets, thirty pounds, food. 15 pounds, this, X amount of money, and it racks up quickly, then it's always the, the cost of, of seeing the joy in their face, seeing their imagination captivated, priceless. You can count the cost of being a Christian. You can try and put money towards it. It's like, how much did it cost to, to buy that Bible for someone that God told you to? All the lost evenings, all the Sunday mornings that you don't get to lie in. There was definitely a moment in me during COVID and like, the pandemic where I realized I was like, gosh, it's quite nice like, taking the dog out for a long run on a Sunday morning. There's so many people around. What about not having leftovers because you've invited the, like, the widow and the orphan to join you at your table? Sort of it's the embarrassment that costs when you step out to someone in public and say, can I pray? And they look at you like a weirdo. All the time that you could have spent watching more Netflix, but instead you were pressing in on your knees in prayer. Maybe some of you, if you're a PCC, I'm looking at Simon as a church warden, like all that extra time spent in church governance. all the acclaim, all the pleasures of life that you could have pursued, but you sacrificed it to pursue the kingdom. It adds up. In the vein of MasterCard, seeing the kingdom of God manifest, seeing heaven and earth overlap more and more around you, that is priceless. We say ministering like Jesus. It comes at a cost, but our reward is so much greater. So casting our imagination back to Isaiah 6, that same thing is true for us. That our guilt is taken away, our sin is atoned for through Jesus, the holy sufficient Sacrifice in the Lamb of God. It's a truth that we're going to embrace and be reminded of in a minute as we receive communion. So in many ways, yeah, we are worthy and up to the task and we are, because of the Spirit of God at work within us, we are powerful beyond measure. 
isn't to puff us up, but it's to say, gosh, what a privilege it is to partner with God and minister like him. So maybe this is a bit antagonistic, but just to remind us that Jesus does more than just standing at the door of our heart and wanting to be invited in for dinner. Jesus also invites us to be, to be sent out. He constantly asks us, who shall I send? Who will go for us? So will we answer the call and say, here I am, send me? Will we answer the call and partner with God, creating little pockets of heaven in which heaven and earth overlap? Will we answer the call, re-narrating human existence as we see it around us, according to his ways? Will we answer the call in which we get to, to guide all these lost sheep back to the true shepherd? Will we cure every disease and sickness because of the spirit at work through us? Will we walk the earth ministering like Jesus? No one has been disqualified from that. So please don't hear this as a, uh, you all need to pull your socks up and work harder. It's rather just realizing our, our true identity and what we're truly invited into, which is such a great privilege. So should we stand? Holy Spirit, come be at work amongst us. Be at work with us. Just like Danny prompted us on earlier, continue to give us eyes to see you as you truly are. Like Isaiah, may our ministry and mission be informed because of the revelation we have of you. May we see you in all your majesty. May we see you in your glory and your splendor. May we see your power at work. So we thank you for all you are. We thank you for all you're doing. We thank you for all that you have done, particularly through Jesus. The fact that every blemish, every mistake, every guilt, regret, every pain we have caused or incurred by others is covered by your blood. Be at work. <laughs>